How's your weekend going? I heard that. That's great. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason. It's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you. We're in Revelation chapter 14 today. Uh, we're going to cover verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bible, you can grab it and put your thumb there. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have some right in front of you in our pews. They're blue. Feel free to grab that. One of the hardest things for me to understand, because I did not grow up in a Christian home, I came to faith as a teenager, about 15. It's a tough time anyway. But one of the hardest things for me in the first 10 years, at least, of my life walking with the Lord, so this is well into my 20s, one of the things I just could not get a feel for was how to live in this world but not be of it. Have you heard that before? Live in the world but don't be of it. It's a Christian thing, but it actually comes out of Scripture. Uh, I didn't know. I tried so hard. And one of the things that caused me to crash and burn over and over is as I was getting established in, in my marriage and kids and then got a really good job, and the world's pretty good. It, there's significant rewards for being successful in this world. And those rewards are significant. And if you do them well, it can be downright intoxicating. And my wife and I were like endurance runners who got off the block in a sprint. And we just pulled away from everybody. Everybody. I know that sounds arrogant, but we were. We pulled away from everybody. We got married young. We had kids young. Her career was just right out of the gate, doing great. I finally got my job as a pilot, and I, I just thought we had the world by the tail. And I remember praying to the Lord very specifically because it felt so incredibly empty. It was like waking up with a hangover. Like, oh, this is, what happened, you know? And I remember praying, Lord, you got to do something. I want to live for you, and this is tearing us apart. I felt like I was trying to stay in one car and then get out while it was moving and trying to hold on and being dragged As I read Revelation, maybe that makes sense to you. Maybe you felt like that before. If you haven't, Revelation helps us to make sense of that. We saw last week that the kingdom of darkness takes shape in the political realm, in the religious realm, in the social realm, in the economic realm. And it's very deceptive. And there's a lot of rewards for playing by the rules of culture and the spirit of the age. And there's deep penalties and punishment for not. And it just reminded me of how difficult it was for me to reconcile what it looked like to live as a believer and also to live in this world, to be a part of the political and the economic and the social system and not lose my soul in the process. And I don't know, maybe I just was hard-headed, but that was very, very difficult. And here's what I do know. It only made sense to me when it made sense. I only really knew what it meant to live in the world and not be of it when I learned how to, in the midst of struggling and suffering, trust in Jesus. That's it. 
It wasn't a Bible study that I did. It wasn't a preacher or a sermon that I heard. These things helped. But until I was actually willing to lose in this world because I had gained in Christ, until that happened to me in real time, it was just a total abstraction. It was, it was hard. So we live in these systems, friend. We live in a country that has a government. We have friends and neighborhoods. We have jobs. We have a church. And we know the kingdom of darkness actually takes shape in these things. So where does the kingdom of God take shape? That's a good question, isn't it? Where does the kingdom of God take shape in our lives? I want us to see that. I want us to feel that. I want us to experience what it's like to suffer loss and to lose because of our relationship with God and find ourselves rich. I had to feel that. I had to experience that before it became real to me, unfortunately. We're going to jump right in. This is Revelation chapter 13. It's going to give us, continue to give us very vivid imagery. It kind of plays off of last week, at least the first part of it, the first few verses, because it's going to give you the antithesis of the kingdom of darkness. It's going to give you the antithesis of Babylon, which represents everything that is trying to remove your reliance on God. And then it's going to move into a warning, of course, because it's Revelation. So let me jump in there. This is Revelation chapter 13. That's wrong. I've been saying this wrong the whole time. Chapter 14. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. Here we go. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Remember, this comes right out of the mark of the beast being in the foreheads of those who don't belong to the Lamb. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Lord. And our prayer together as your people and those who are seeking you is that we might understand this text. We pray that you would open up this treasure that you have given us, that we might behold its beauty and its power, that we might know you and truly worship you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so two things we're going to look at out of all that text. I want to look at this this song of Zion, and then we're going to look at this intoxication or this buzz of Babylon. Because they, they kind of go together, but they don't. And the first one is, is kind of a contrast or juxtaposition to Babylon we saw last week. It's a city. It's a tale of two cities. And eventually we're going to get a tale of, two, a tale of two women. One's going to be the bride of Christ, this one that we see in the desert, and one's going to be this prostitute who is synonymous with Babylon. So that's where we're going. But first, we want to understand this song of Zion. Uh, Zion is God's permanent place. Mount Zion is where the people of God meet the person of God. And what's interesting about Mount Zion, and it's the Temple Mount now, uh, it's where the temple would have been, it's where people would have gone up to meet God. It would have been the most intense localized presence of God that Israel would have experienced. What's interesting about Mount Zion is you will see the word Judah or Israel or Jerusalem used both in a positive way and in a negative way because Israel is, wasn't always faithful. But you never see Mount Zion used that way. It's always used as the place where God will redeem his people. In fact, it's used like 19 times in the Old Testament. And almost half of those are talking about God redeeming a remnant, almost pulling them up the mountain, cleaning them, making them his own. So this song that's happening is happening in Mount Zion. Now remember, we're looking at the throne room. We're looking through the throne room. And we're looking at this from the perspective of both right now, because it doesn't really make it clear. Is this in the future or is this happening right now? Well, it's happening right now, and it's also your future. This is something that we participate in. Even as we gather together, even as we sing, our voices join that. So we want to understand what this song is. It's in the presence of God. It's under his protection in Mount Zion. He gives us his seal, right? The seal of the Lamb, which actually enables us to persevere. And here's a big point that the text is making. This is authentic. Remember, we're coming out of last week where God was imitated by Satan, by the beasts. It was as a trinity that looked so good. It was almost perfect, 666. In fact, it was so perfect, you couldn't tell by looking at the two sometimes. So here, it's giving you, an, uh, giving you a magnifying glass. 
This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. He's in Mount Zion. He doesn't have his feet on the sand. He's actually the true king. He's authentic. He's genuine. Even as we read Psalm 2 for our call to worship, we see that God the Father says, I will put God the Son, his response to the nations falling apart and trying to wrestle control from him, is he laughs, but then he says, I'm not really worried about it because I'm setting up my Son, the one I have begotten, God the Son, the eternal Son. I'm putting him in Mount Zion, and he's going to handle it from there. He's going to redeem his people. You're never going to have them. He's the true King Mount Zion. Um, I used to fly for a living, and one of the hardest approaches you'll ever do, which the, the airport's not even open anymore, it's Hong Kong. I never flew there. The plane wasn't that big. But I, used to, I, I flew the simulator approach into Hong Kong, and it was a disaster. It's in this valley, it's on the water, and there's hills all over, and it's usually monsoon season there, because it's always monsoon season there. And you have to actually, at night, you follow these lead-in lights. As you come into the city, you see the lead-in lights, and you follow them through the city. When I say through the city, I mean below mountains, like below the, the, the tops of the mountains. Or the, 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 below the tops of the mountains, and also you come down below the top of the skyscrapers. And you're, the last turn you make, if it's day, you see a mountain that has an orange and white checkered thing on it. And then you come right up on it, and then you make about a 40 to 55 degree turn, which is ridiculous for a large airplane. And you line up about a mile and a half from the runway, and then hope that you can touch down. So it's a really bad approach. Um, one, probably one of the reasons they closed the airport. So that was one of the first approaches I flew in the simulator. It was a 707 simulator. My friend Hat was a simulator instructor. He's like, come do this. It's fun. You'll learn. It was so hard. I had become very proficient in the simulator at it, you would never have trusted me to fly into Hong Kong. I looked like a pilot. I could do it in the simulator, even the night approach. I could land it in Hong Kong. Don't get on my plane. <laughs> you are not in charge of your own life. You are not your own king. You are going to surrender to this world system, to the king of darkness, to the enemy, or are you going to surrender to Christ? Don't put your life in anybody's hands but the true king. He's not simulating. He's been there. He understands it. And they sing. There's this soundtrack of salvation that goes on. Why a soundtrack? Do you know how soundtracks work? They help enliven the drama of a movie. You make soundtracks. Do you have a road trip soundtrack? Like, I don't know what you put on it. I know what I put on mine. Maybe you have a soundtrack you listen to while you're making dinner. Maybe you have one you're working out. The soundtrack, the, the type of music, actually helps you to engage the experience. That's what soundtracks do. So this song is very specific because it's a new song. When you see in scripture a new song, it's not because they had got bored and just wanted to try something new. New songs in scripture almost always indicate victory. So this is coming out of, well, let's think of the, the new song of Moses in Exodus 15. He sings in actual songs or pens a song that they worship with. And it's about the victory that God had over Egypt. He delivered them out of the house of bondage. He responded to their cry. And, and he gets them through the Red Sea and brings them to his position of safety and worship. And they worship with a new song. You're going to hear more about that next week. 
But the point is, this is a song of victory. You can't sing it unless you understand the victory. You can't sing it unless you understand what has been purchased and what has been overcome. And it says only the 144,000 of the Lamb can do that. Remember, we learned that the 144,000 is not a literal number because the Apostle John hears them numbered and then sees them, and it's a multitude that you can't even number. It's like sand on the sea. So the 144,000 represents the entire multitude of God's people for all of time. And they're worshiping, singing this new song around the throne where the four elders are, or not the four elders, the four creatures who represent all of creation and the 24 elders who represent all of God's people, Old Testament, New Testament. And now you're there and your voice sounds like loud. It sounds like a thunder. It sounds like a waterfall right up in your face. And you're singing this new song to the Lord. And you don't understand it. The reason you can't understand it is because you don't know what's been won. Those who sing it understand the price of redemption. We understand that it's the Lamb's blood that has saved us. We understand that there's no possible way that I can overcome evil in my own life. There's no possible way that I can clean what's been stained by my hands. And when we see that God doesn't love us because of what we've done, but he, what he's done proves his love for us. And that makes us sing. And that becomes a soundtrack to salvation. He's purchased us. And friends, even when we lose, even when our devotion to the living God causes us to lose, because that's really so much about what Revelation's about, we feel rich. Don't you want to sing when you feel rich? When, when, you, when you're in the chips, don't you have a certain like, lightness to your step? You do. Money makes you feel good. When you get it, you feel good. When you don't have it, you feel bad. That's just the reality. In Christ, we feel rich, even now. So the song of Zion is in his place, it's the soundtrack of those who have been redeemed. He is king. He's overcome the beast. He's overcome sin. He's overcome a world system that wants to crush you. And then did crush him. Yeah. So much so, friend, that when somebody asks you, this happens a lot in the city, hey, wh where are you from? A lot of times, sometimes people will say, oh, well, I grew up in, you know, Idaho, but I'm really from Texas. Texans say that all the time, because if you just like lived in Texas for a day, somehow you're a Texan, right? I live here and here, but really I'm a Texan. I'm really from Texas. This is the idea. Oh, no, I live in Arlington or Falls Church or Alexandria, but I'm really from Zion. What? Maybe you shouldn't go around saying that. Maybe you should. I don't know. You should feel as though you belong there when you see that song. You should feel as though I want my voice there. So that's the song of Zion. Secondly, now this is such a juxtaposition. Now it goes back to this false Zion. We're going to talk about the buzz of Babylon. Why the buzz? Because this world system can make you feel intoxicated. It can so deceive you. Not just, this is not blindness. This is 
really speaking of your, this, this world is so deceived by the goodness and the perceived godness of everything around us that we are unresponsive, totally unresponsive to the gracious, powerful, beautiful call of the gospel. We're just, I'm drunk, I can't see it. I, I'm intoxicated. So these next three angels give a warning. It's a general warning. And as you go past verse 13, there's an actual reaping. There's a judgment. So the first angel, flying overhead, proclaiming an eternal gospel to those who dwell on the earth. That's not just general people. Those are people that don't belong to the Lamb. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, people, instead with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So this feels like, because we're conditioned to think a gospel call is something um, that is a good thing, and it is a good thing. And we learned that the gospel, especially as Revelation understands it, is the revealing of the true Christ. It's promise fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus. He's not just told, he's seen, and he's accomplished it. So this angel proclaiming the gospel that goes out over the earth is a good thing, but it really seems, it seems like a judgment. It seems like a judgment because it says the hour of judgment is here. It's almost like a warning. It's almost like this is what you didn't want to do. It's fear God, give glory, and worship him. It's not like, well, you have a God-sized hole in your heart, and if you worship Jesus, you'll feel better. Is that true? Yeah, but this is not that. This is We're all going to worship him. Some of them are going to do it with a willing heart of delight. We're going to sing the song of the Lamb. We're going to get in on that. We want to do that even if we don't feel it now. And some of you are going to worship by just begrudging submission because he actually is the true king. This is not the kind of gospel we usually share, is it? So this this judgment is approaching. This is what verses 6 and 7 of this angel pushes out. Note this word springs of water at the end, because there's a theme of drinking. So let's look at this second angel. The second angel talks about what the main point of the text here is, is this spiritual inebriation. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So remember, this imagery is, is highly vivid, And it speaks to much more than what it's saying. So the point here is that the nations and the tribes and the world is so intoxicated on everything that Babylon hands you, my job is intoxicating. Man, I am just, I'm I'm doing things. My marriage is awesome. This is working out for me. And it's not just the power to do this, it's the promise of it. Maybe it's not working out for you, but you're holding out and you're looking to drink the wine of Babylon. This is great. The point is, we're all so intoxicated about it that we don't even hear the first angel. It's like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to hear the gospel because I don't need it. I'm saving myself, thank you very much. I'm saving myself through my position. I'm saving myself through the power of wealth. I have what I need, when I need it, how I need it. It's good that God cares about the world, but I'm too drunk to hear it. It's the promise of power. It's the promise of greatness. It's the promise of pleasure. It's a false Zion. It's everything that Zion promised but can't produce. That's Babylon. 
So it uses the idea of drunkenness and sexual immorality. It even talked earlier about those who abstained who are virgins. The point here is compromise. One of the pressures of Babylon for Israel was that it wasn't that you were just in captivity. They actually had a great country. You could do well there. So the point is, you're going to find it unreasonable to not compromise with culture because the benefit is too great. When you start losing at work because you honor Jesus, you're going to think twice about it. When you start losing in your marriage to hold on to the truth of the gospel, you're going to think twice about it. It's inebriation. You know what drunkenness is, right? What is drunkenness? What does alcohol provide for you? What does wine provide? Escape? Fun? Peace? Relaxation? Until it doesn't. And Proverbs talks about waking up the next morning and it feels like a viper. And it takes you down. And everything it promised was not permanent. Everything that she gave you slipped through your fingers. As the sun comes up, it's all gone, and you feel 10 times worse than you did when you took your first drink. Friends, that is what this world is doing to you and to me. And it makes the gospel seem interesting, but implausible. Why would I need that? She will make you want her. This is what the wine of culture and power does. How would I wrap that up? Here's really what the buzz of Babylon is. It's the power of wealth. It says this. It goes on in chapter 18, or just before chapter 18. It's wealth. The power of her luxurious living. Well, I don't live luxuriously. Yeah, you do. You do. You are committed to your own luxury. I promise you. It's something that you're struggling with right now as a believer. And if she's taken away from you, if that wine's pulled out of your hand, you're going to cry about it. If that house leaves you, if that career leaves you, if that position you've worked your whole life for leaves you, if everything you've wanted out of your career never happens, it's going to feel like your life is over and that you lost everything. Friends, that, that is the lie. That is the buzz of Babylon. And it leads to destruction, the third angel. Loud voice. All those who are marked on the forehead will also drink the wine of God's wrath. You, you see the continuity here. If you're going to live and give your the sexual immorality is all about giving your life. If you give yourself over to this life, to this world, to this system, to everything it has to offer for you, you might actually have a great life. Devoid of actual worship. But you will end up drinking true justice. The cup of God's wrath. And it's not mediated. There's no common grace like everybody experiences today. God reigns on the just and the unjust. It's full strength. There's no rest. 
That's what hell is. It's where your, your week gets a little worse every day, forever. That's sobering. That makes me want to put the wine of Babylon. I was just, I was just sipping it. Just, I was just taking a little bit. It makes me just want to just break the bottle and run. You are made to drink. You are made to fill yourself. You are made to sustain yourself, just not in the wine of Babylon. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says to his people, they're at the Feast of Booths. They're celebrating, I think this is John chapter 7, they're celebrating their exodus out of Egypt. He says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. I will give you living water. Remember the rock they drank of in the desert? He's saying, I'm that rock. Yes, life is difficult. Don't compromise. Come to me. I will give you everything that you need. But it hurts, and I'm still experiencing pain. Yeah, that's a guarantee. But I'm what you need to drink. So the call of this text for you, check yourself. What are you drinking? Drink deeply from the Lamb. Are you drunk on power? Are you drunk on wealth? Are you drunk on the promise of your retirement? Are you drunk on the outcomes of your job? Are you drunk on a good relationship? Many of these things can be wonderful. Don't get drunk on it. Worship the Lamb. Drink from Him. He has living water. And He gives it to you. At the end of Revelation, listen to this, Revelation 21.6. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That's how you conquer. That's how you get to the finish line. That's how you retool when, like me, you sprinted in an endurance and ran out of gas. That's how you finish. You go to the lamb and you drink. Just come to him. He has living water for us and we need this. We need this. Because we're worn out, aren't we? The future looks too hard. The present's too destroyed many times. So let's trust him. Let's drink deeply from the lamb's living water. And know that his love for you is not something you can purchase. It's given to you without price because he, he, he purchased it for you. Let's drink that. There's no hangover. It makes you want to sing, but not because you're drunk. It gives you a feeling of euphoria, but not because you're imitating. You're filled with the Spirit of God. And we can sing together and enjoy and praise him for his work. Let's focus on that. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that you redeem people. Lord, you take our lives that are filled with sin and brokenness and you cover them and you put us back together and you remove the stain and you put us in Zion with you. Let us feel that place now like, like it belongs to us because of you. And I pray that for those of us that are ensnared, Lord, in, in any kind of sin, that it's keeping our allegiance here instead of heaven, that you would show us, Lord, what that leads to, and that you would show us, Lord, 
the beauty of a tested, genuine faith that can drink, Lord, from what you have from us and go the distance. Lift all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.